0: So Becca, today we get the privilege to talk to someone that has written a lot about sensory needs, and that's that made me think recently about my sensory needs and how I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on it as well, of as I get older, it seems like I am paying more attention to the things that I dislike, like light, I only want... I don't want light I just want natural light just natural light and then just like the sounds every little sound I'm paying I I don't know if I'm more conscious of it or or what exactly is is going on but I'm definitely paying more attention to to light sound crowd all of the above touch First of all,
1: Sensory, our sensory profiles, I think, are just a huge big deal on the spectrum. They don't. We could talk about them until we're blue in the face and we still aren't talking about how important it is and how integral it is, right? So, like, I don't know, I'm like you too, but I think we've talked about it before. The older that I get, it's like I'm reverting back to who I was and how sensitive I was as a kid. Like, before I built up that really thick skin that I was able to tolerate things for longer periods, and now the older I'm getting, I don't know if I'm And this is my crux. Am I just so into being my authentic self that I no longer care about complaining to people about all the things I can't stand or, Feel really adamant about you know that need to self care. Like no, I, I'm too old for this nonsense, and so I really need to take care of myself. Um, and that feels like that happens. Um, but I am intolerant, and I think we. It's one of the things I really hate um, is other people's noise. So this is a really weird thing. I never heard anybody talk about it. But if I'm making a lot of noise, that's okay with me. <laughs> it's when it's somebody else's noise that I am offended. And so I, I'm now, I sit up, so if it's my music that's very loud, all is well in Becca's house. But if it's somebody else's music, that's very loud. So what is, do you have that kind of stuff happening too?
0: Definitely, like, noises that are surprises to me are are affecting me more. Like, I've... I just imagined he as, like, this old man
1: who startles very easily, like, in his nurse,
0: well, I I I mean, sadly, but my my spouse even startles me. Like, <laughs> she, she, she asks me why all the time. Like, why am I startling you so much? So, uh, you know, just even even you know. So, yes, I I feel like I am more easily startled than. I, I was before. I don't know if there you know changes going on in my brain or or awareness. Let's, Just Let's turn it into a compliment for her.
1: Let's tell her it's because you're so comfortable with her that you're not on alert. And that's how she sneaks up on you. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll put it that way for her. But I'm really excited to introduce our guest because Soja is one of the people that, for me, when I was having my beginning challenges... The book, his book was the book for me. It was like, oh, here, you want to not feel alone? Here's a book. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I'm not the only person in crisis at the grocery store. I see. Like, it's not just me. Um, And so I feel like it's really important to um, introduce in the last of our Pride series, the final installation, um, Zojazzat, who has brought us a lot of the information we now know about sensory stuff.
2: Uh, thank you. Thank you for the compliments, too. Um, that was my hope, is that people would see, okay, other people experience these things and, um, you know, some just very practical strategies about what to do. You know, a lot of advocates back then were beginning to write narratives, and I was like, I don't know if my life is that interesting or not, but what do I do in the gross store? Or Right. Well, you know, that's going to infinitely... Know, that's. I need that information really badly. Right. So I
1: great. am still grateful for that information. I mean, it was the first time that I had seen someone openly say, "Just wear your sunglasses inside. Like it's okay. Just wear them. Okay, put your headphones on." And it was like, oh, even just the validation that some of the things I had tried along the way were okay to do, right? Um, and so I thank you for that because it made a huge difference and a huge impact on my life when I got my diagnosis. Well, I'm glad
2: to
0: hear that. Sosha, you were talking about uh, practical strategies and you wrote a book in 2006, Live in Love, Positive Strategies for Autistic Adults. And a big part of this book was about... Uh, love and Relationships. So I'm not aware of too many books, certainly up to this point, that discussed in much detail about the kind of the intersection of the autistic experience and love. Why did you decide this was something that you wanted to tackle in such detail in this book?
2: Well, up front, I'll be honest that I have not resolved, you know, the relationship question. Myself, but what you know, I have seen in narratives out there and what I have experienced a few times now in relationships um, is a lot of blame on the autistic person. So you're just talking about sensory needs. They'll be like, oh, you see, the autistic person has all these sensory needs, so I have to run around and uh, accommodate to this. But the truth is um, all human beings are accommodating each other all the time. It's just that our needs have gotten stigmatized because of ableism and discrimination. So, you know, it's it, I'm trying to push back against that narrative. And again, you know, if you look at the strategies I was tr- in the, in the book, I was really trying hard to uh, get people to see that it's about communication and negotiation. It's not about whether you're autistic or not autistic. Uh, now, I will say I have grown a lot. Tremendously, and been through a lot of things since then. So I still think the book was, you know, a fair attempt at like a first shot of explaining all of these things. But it definitely needs an update, and I am working on more writing right now. So um, you know, I'm going to continue to write about this because I think that we do need to get away from the blaming. I think that that's um, it's just not true that in a relationship. Um, one person is all the problems.
1: right. It's like that uh, idea that in a relationship, no person should be the heavy lifter, right It's like mm-hmm. if you really want to be in a relationship with somebody, it's an equal amount of lifting and you're lifting together otherwise right And for a really long time I don't I think we we were not taught self-value and because we weren't taught self-value, we really felt like we had to almost step into relationships already apologizing right? Like you, you enter in it already apologizing for all of your crazy needs and the things that you're going to do and say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we need to, that's the beginning. It's like we need to value ourselves a little bit more so that when we enter relationships, that's who we're bringing with us, right?
0: You now, Becca was talking about self-value, and, and I, I always think with healthy relationships, it, it doesn't start with the other person, it really starts with yourself, so are there ways, you see, how we can have more self-love or self-esteem with ourselves in order to connect with others that, to truly enhance our lives?
2: This kind of relates to what we were just talking about a minute ago. You know, and I actually, the number one advice I could give is to sort of work on uh, not being ashamed. Of who, who we are. Um, and like I said, I haven't solved this completely for myself. Um, I was in a relationship recently, um, not the relationship in the book, different relationship. And I had been with this person for a long time. And I thought that they were really accepting of autism and neurodiversity. They positioned themselves as somebody who was very accepting. And they have a disability themselves. So I was very stunned. Um, to find out that they had, they were cheating on me for a period of time. And in the breakup process, um, lodged this long litany of complaints. You know, for example, the sensory issues. Oh, I feel like I was walking on eggshells. I had to walk on eggshells around you all the time. So that made me feel very ashamed. You know? And we can't let that happen to ourselves because... Um, you know, Simi Linton, a really great disability studies scholar, has this famous quote where she said, if someone uses the term special needs one more time, I'm going to throw up. There's there's no special needs. It's just human beings, you know. Yeah. And if you really love me, like Becca was saying a minute ago, we compromise. So here's an example. The sound of forks scraping plates or bowls, yeah. it really... Um, kind of agitates my nervous system and I can get very like sort of defensive and want to move away and not be in the area and that kind of thing. And I thought, okay, well, you know, we just get creative. You know, there are bowls and plates that aren't scraping or you can use, you know, plastic ware. That's what I mean about compromising, you know, or sometimes it may be just that, okay, you know, I won't be there while people are eating the main, Course, but I can socialize with you over dessert or something like that. So that's what I mean. It's just negotiating those things. And like I said, you know, a lot of the times I was accommodating her needs. So that's why I was really surprised. And it's, I think it's so easy for us to go into that shameful space. Mm-hmm. And you've got, you've got to just work really hard to pull yourself out of it constantly and be like, no, I have some needs. But there's nothing wrong with having those needs. They have needs too. It's just that their needs have not been stigmatized right. and looked at as abnormal. You know, we've gotten the message our whole lives that what we are is abnormal. But like you said, you're going into it already, you know, feeling sort of guilty or bad, like, oh no, you know, we gotta have this talk because, you know, I have this problem. You know what I mean? Right. Um Instead of it just being like, okay, what are the things you're going to need? And what are the things I'm going to need? And then let's like work this out because we love each other.
1: Right. And that's I, what I think is so interesting is that's how I feel like autistics approach relationships. We're just as logical in our relationships. I think as we are, you know, like oh well, we're going to logically compromise. Sometimes you'll do things, and we just think about it very logically. But there are other people have a, a different emotional experience about it, and it sounds like there was some resentment, some resentment in there. And yeah. I find the resentment comes when you are someone who is very comfortable advocating for yourself and your own needs, and that other person is not. And so maybe. because they have not learned yet to advocate almost out of jealousy of your ability to, right? They build with yeah.
2: them. Yeah, because you know, you speak to a very important point. She could have come to me and said, you know, for me, it really sucks when you can't join us for dinner. because. Right. And I could have been very compassionate about that and we could have like maybe negotiated something halfway. You know, right. I'm not going to be able to rearrange my whole nervous system but maybe we could have had picnics, or, you know, we could have, um, like I said, gotten plastic wear. You know, right. there's so many things that we could do, right? You never get a hundred percent of what you want, but when you come to your partner in that space of love and trust, um, they'll work with you and know it. Sometimes it's very messy and it can be very frustrating, but that's, that's the, the love is that conversation.
1: Right, it is, and it's the, it's the willingness to, like, hash it out so for the greater good, right, rather than to hold it in, and, and we do it, we do it too, we're so guilty, we do it in a people-pleasing way, right, we're like, oh, just, I don't want to even let them know that my feelings are hurt, I'm just going to smile and hold it in, and like, right, and it, it backfires on you, and so super important to know your own needs, and, and I don't know, I guess set an example for other people how to, to do that
2: for themselves. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think that because of the stigma and the shame and how we've been positioned, I can can see autistic people sometimes getting into that people-pleasing kind of space. But I also see a strength of ours, um, sometimes, if we can get there, is to be just very direct and honest. And I think if, if we have more of that in relationships, you know, and sometimes we can be better at just saying, you know, uh, eating tonight in this restaurant is not going to work for me. Right. Why does that have to be a personal affront? Correct. Just saying, you know, I can give you another example. There was a time where he came over and I was just in the middle of writing a paragraph. And you know, sometimes you're writing something, you just got to finish it. Um, but I have learned that neuromajority people are very sensitive, you know, and if you, can't talk right then and there they can feel like you don't like them Mm -hmm. so I was very careful and I said I see you want to socialize spontaneously and I honor that and um, I can but I just need a few minutes to transition from what I was doing so that I can take full attention to you and that was viewed as work Right,
1: no. I, that's the part I go. we'll never understand. That though, I, I I have I just have given up. And, and what I <laughs> want to say is instead is I was like, nope, sorry, my stuff is just as valid as yours. I don't get yours. You don't have to get mine. But like, hello,
2: be respectful. Well, like let's just stop judging each other and be right. consent. There's no special needs or autistic needs right. or whatever. It's just human beings. And this is my thing, and this is going to be your thing. Okay, well now we have to talk about it. But we we're, we can work
1: it out. Right, and it's that well? We do, and we have a willingness to discuss that. And I I think that part of it was always is always really gray with neurotypicals whether it's okay or not okay to talk about something like for real talk about it, like mm-hmm. not pretend in their way talk about it, but really talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's an interesting thing to me. I. I the only relationship that's ever worked for me has been a neurodiverse relationship where I we are both neurodiverse in our own ways, Not that there's not a neuromajority in it. I just have not found success in any other way. And so I'm fascinated when other people try.
2: Well, it, this is what was so strange about my recent case, that this person had some neurodivergence as well as, you know, their own disability issues. So I think what that speaks to is that, you know, we're speaking in broad terms and patterns, you know, some autistic people and other neurodivergent people are still in a process of self-acceptance and may not be able to advocate or may get, they may still have some of those neuromajority, I don't know how else to phrase it, except to say like desires, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's why I think it's, we'll get to this in some of the later questions, but, I think that that's why, you know, a lot of communication is so important to make sure that the two people's whole selves are going to be aligned, you know, because mm-hmm. if you need a lot of, a lot of spontaneous socializing, um, and I need a lot of like time to transition and, and don't handle interruptions too well, then it, it's not that that's bad or that yours is bad, but maybe we're not the best partners for each other. Right, exactly.
0: Right? Yeah. yeah. You definitely said something that really scared me. Spontaneous socializing. But <laughs> I'll, I'll schedule it. I'll put it on my calendar. We'll do spontaneous socializing then. You know,
2: narrow, narrow majority people love it. They, they love do. It. They love it. And we can honor that, right? But So then we have right. to have that conversation. You know, like sometimes I will do that for you because I love you. But then there has to be respect coming in the other direction, which is you honoring how hard that is, and I'm doing it because I love you, and so sometimes you're not going to demand it, because you're doing for me, right? It has you're going to choose like, your oh, moments
1: to demand right? it from me, because you're conscious that I'm a person, right? So, that, I mean, it's interesting, because I I, I think, well, we'll have. To, I want to see where the other questions go, but I just think it's so fascinating how much of it is internalized for us, and, mm-hmm. and how much we live with that even in relationships, but on a daily basis
0: in relationship with self, too. Well, Before we get to that relationship space, some of the first steps are, are dating, which I think can be intimidating, especially due to kind of neurotypical expectations in the process. So from an autistic lens, how do you think dating looks like for things just like meeting someone you like and asking them out on a date, whether it's in person or in, in other forms.
2: To the best that I understand it, dating is about showing who you are and enjoying who the other person is. So my advice would be to, again, it's, it's getting creative and in order to get creative, you do have to be unashamed of who you are. So for example, in our society, Typically, a date is, let's go out to dinner. That's not going to work for me because of sensory issues. Um, I I can and do go to certain places and or would do that compromisable situation if I was in a partnership with somebody and it was really meaningful for them to go to a certain place for a certain event, sure. But, you know, uh, as a first uh, date and I'm already nervous and, you know, so, uh, for example, you know if really need quiet and you like books why not have your first date at the library and you each pick a book that you want to read and then share with the other person why you want to read that book but you see you have to you have to be in that space where you're not ashamed to be this type of person right so i understand it can be very difficult so we have to pair it with that unshaming process and to just mm-hmm. be like i'm the kind of person who you know, I'm not going to have that much fun at a restaurant. I'd rather take you to the library right. or whatever it is. You know, I think dates that have to do with special interests or dates that won't upset you on a sensory level; those are probably the best ones. You know, and it actually works as a good screening tool because if someone thinks that that's totally hmm. weird, goodbye. Yep. Right, they're probably not going to be aligned for a good partnership. So.
1: I could not agree with you more. I think I went about dating all the wrong way. And it's not my own fault. You know, I didn't have a diagnosis. I didn't really know myself at all, right? So I couldn't really be myself with somebody because I didn't really know who that was. But at the same time, when I finally went through that process and I finally decided that I was going to accept myself and love myself, even though I'm a weirdo and all all these other things about me, right? That when I went on my first date with my husband, which was my first official date ever on my life, otherwise I was just hanging out with friends. And so, you know, it was the first time I'd ever been asked on a date, all of that stuff. Um, And I was like, you know what? We're going to, we went to like a, a, brewery type place and I was like you know what I'm ordering chicken fingers and french fries because I want to see if this man looks at me like I'm crazy because at the time I was 39 years old and is he gonna look at this 39 year old woman and say I can't believe she just ordered chicken fingers and french fries for dinner on a date Right, and if that was his thought process, I was like, "Yeah, dude, I eat this every day. Like, this is my like life." And so, if you can't deal with it, goodbye. And he never said a word, and he didn't care. And like, I, because I was able to do that for myself, and I was able to be comfortable, we were able to proceed into a relationship.
2: Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think
0: that comfort is really key. You were mentioning, um, you know, the most common place, I guess, on a first date is is a restaurant. And, you know, sometimes people don't advocate for themselves and and just kind of go to that restaurant. And then as a result, a lot of masking happens. So I'm wondering, do you feel like there are ways you can think that um, autistics can mask less and be more of their truly wonderful autistic selves in these situations?
2: Well, you're right. You might find yourself in that restaurant. But you see, I, I would like to stay... Take a step back and not wind up in that restaurant. I think that that's how we can reduce the masking. If you don't, you know, if you honor yourself and you don't say, well, I have to do this because society says to do this, you know, it's, but that's what I keep saying. It has to be paired with that unshaming process. You have to be unashamed of who you are. Now, I still think, you know, when you go on a first date, you want to seem really cool and you're probably on your best and you probably got all dressed up or whatever. Like, we don't have to deny that. I think that's just kind of how it goes. We're trying to show this person our wonderfulness, right? So, uh, but I think that if you can design dates that, like, work better for you, that, that is that will prevent some of the sensory stress. It'll prevent some deregulation. It'll, it'll reduce the masking. I also think
1: you'll probably end up having a better date because you can – if you – are comfortable physically in your skin and your sensory system and all of that, you can be more focused on that person. Right. And okay. you can just, really be there in that moment right and so um i think that's also part of it but i love that you said don't end up in the restaurant in the first place because that's your clue guys like hello i if you don't want to go don't go like that's the whole that was your first clue in right and if you end up in that restaurant your key has to be how do i take care of myself in the best way possible here right? And if that means trips to the bathroom, if that means saying, hey, can we get dessert somewhere else, right? Other ways to compromise.
2: Well, yeah, you know, you raise a good point because sometimes we plan out the best thing and we don't know. Things can come up, right? So that's another thing too, if you're on a date at a restaurant and it's just too loud because that night um, they have live music or something and you didn't have participate that. If you say, you know, um, I thought this restaurant would be great but it's just too loud in here for me. Can we please go do something else? And the other person thinks that's weird or is like, no, then like you shouldn't be with that person anyway. <laughs> because It goes back to that thing where we're always, a kind, you know, even neuromajority people have that problem too. Like, right, like they go into a restaurant and they're like, you know, kind of um, smells really strong in here. I need to go somewhere else. It's just that when we do it, it's I keep going back to that, but it's true. Right. It's like, it truly oh, is how,
1: how we, we think about that. that. We worry mm-hmm. that if we do that, someone's going to judge us, right? And right. it's in the worry of the judging that we don't take care of ourselves.
2: Right, you know, because and, and it's true. Society does say, oh, yeah, I see the autistic person is ruining dinner again, and, blah, blah, and all sorts. And we have to sort of put a kind of, we have to protect ourselves from mm-hmm. that because... It's, it's just, it's just not true. All human beings are taking care of themselves and advocating and saying, Hey, this, this bowling alley is too loud. Let's go do something else. You know, like things happen and that has to be okay.
1: Yeah. It has to, right, because otherwise everyone is forcing themselves through things, right? They're all, we're all part of it, right? We're all commiserating in the game. It doesn't work. I must say to you, I don't understand dinners or meals as a choice for any kind of activity with another person you intend to speak to. Like, I hate meetings over meals. I hate dates over meals. Like, I don't get it. I want to do stuff with you and talk to you, but I can not if I have to cut my food and chew and decide what I'm going to eat and all other things. So I would like to normalize not having meals when you have meetings or go
2: on dates. (laughs) That's true too. I mean, I think I do sometimes in the right circumstances, but that's, that's key, right? You see, like we have one vegetarian restaurant in our city that I know I won't have any like issues with smells or what the food looks like. And I know the people there because i frequent it so much. So I know when the busy times are and when they're not busy, and so sometimes I do like to go to brunch with one or two other people, um, but we go when I know it'll be quiet and I know there will be no issues with the food, and, you know. But um, yeah, you know that's. I think what you're speaking to is that creativity that I was talking about, and I think not just in the autism space, but in our society in general, we need to get more flexible. You know, we we have very narrow ideas about you know, uh, how to have a meeting, or what is a good worker, or, you know, and I think some of that is starting to be tested in question, um, which is another conversation for another day, but, yeah, I think it's about allowing yourself to be a human being.
0: For me, for me, when the food comes, it's not only, well, I, I like it because it's not only food but then it's hopefully a time when spontaneous communication will end and I could just eat. But see, it always goes back to that for me. But uh, so changing, changing gears a little bit. uh, So Becca and I met our life partners through the wild world of of the internet. Where where do you see the internet's role in helping autistics to make meaningful connections?
2: I think it'd be very helpful. I am not, anti internet or social media like at all. I'm in a kind of Facebook support group for transgender guys over 30. And that's been so helpful, even though I've never met any of them in person. The caveat here is, um, you know, there's pros and cons to everything. So I grew up in an era where we didn't have the internet until I was well into my 20s. Uh, now, I was not, um, you know, it, it doesn't mean I had no connection to technology. Some of us, I was a little bit of an early adapter because, well, honestly, I was using Telnet in the 80s. So, but the internet as we know it and the World Wide Web and that kind of thing. And so I can remember back to a day where if you wanted to talk to somebody, you had to go find them and talk to them in person. And I think that our mental health is being really impacted by just being sucked into the internet hours and hours and hours and hours so i just want to kind of put out a balanced perspective um i think it's important to make sure that you're having good healthy connections and relationships and activities here in the real world but sure the internet is an amazing place you know i can remember when i was young how hard it was to meet someone else who was interested in some of the things that i was in now, if you're like a demi romantic ace who's into butterflies, you can go online and find someone who does too, you know? And, and that's incredible, and that's very powerful. And I think that that has really benefited autistic people because um, sometimes making some of those initial conversations and sort of sorting out and, you know, meeting people who want to meet neurodivergent people. And we're open to Neurodivergent people and our different sexuality and gender identities. Um, that can be very powerful.
0: I wanted to talk a little bit about decision making because I think so often for autistic adults, there's so much um, social isol- isolation. And that makes it, I think, more difficult in determining whether to bring romantic partners in our lives. And if this person's a safe person for me, physically, emotionally, or spiritually. So what are some things that maybe autistic should be paying attention to when making these critical decisions in their lives?
2: This is an excellent question. And like I was saying, it's kind of a strange way to start the answer, but um, I think it's an important point. Uh, you can find someone and really feel safe with them and believes that they are the perfect person for you. And that can go on for a while and things can change. So we're always not, I don't mean vigilant, like you're always on the defensive and watching out for that moment when they're going to stop being nice, but just to keep in mind that, um, you, you know, things can change. So even if you're a good space, um, just keeping an eye that things are still helping and going in a good direction is important. Um, I think if you're if you're um, starting out um, and you're looking for a relationship, a uh, couple of things. I have this wonderful new therapist. she's fabulous and she's very neurodivergent experienced and um, queer experienced and just wonderful human being in general. And um, so she she's really worked with me on this and given me homework and things to read and that kind of thing. Um, I think the first thing, that comes to my mind is what i call loneliness reduction and i think i've talked about it in the book or i've talked about it in other places and what i mean by that is because autistic people do tend to be more isolated then someone comes along and they like us and they want to hang out with us and we just go with it right because we're, we're lonely and hey there's at least there's somebody who wants to talk to me so i think we we're going to make those better um social decisions if the loneliness and are not in a space where it's just, we're just so um, excited to have somebody willing to talk to us that we just go with the first person, right? So, um, and I I don't mean to be dismissive here. I know some people really want a romantic partner and there are special things about that that you don't get in a friendship or volunteering, but if you have some friends, if you're volunteering, if you're part of a club, if you do something on Sundays, you're going to be in a very different space because you will have some people in your life and some activities in your life. And so you can be more judicious. You know, you're not as vulnerable, right? The other thing that she and I have talked about is vetting. And what I mean by that is having people you trust get to know this possible person you might want to be in a relationship with. And I think for a lot of autistic people, we may not think to do that, or it may be harder because we may not have close ties to our family or we may not have a bunch of friends. But I think trying to do that somehow is, is important. And if you're doing some of those activities I just mentioned that can help reduce loneliness, like signing up for a yoga class or volunteering at the zoo or something like that, you will have people around who can lend their opinion. You can bring the person to your yoga class and then you can say to the yoga teacher, hey, what do you think of so-and-so? I'm, I'm thinking of you know, going him, like long term and i just don't you know she's like oh you know their insight and their reaction is really going to give you a lot of clues So i think you really do have to find some way to have people you trust that's the person and that's not because you're autistic that's just i think human beings need that period just because you know we're we don't we just don't see everything all the time and if we're falling in love you know we think the person's fabulous we're not necessarily going to be critically examining, like, for example, you know, how willing are they to compromise? You know, how accepting are they of my needs and my neurodiversity and, or my neurodivergence? Um, so those two things come to my mind. Reducing reducing that loneliness so you're in a good space. Vetting, I definitely think that that's really important. And the other thing that I think is really important, too, is to really think about the qualities that you want in another person. Sometimes, we, you know, we spend so much, I go in the supermarket, and I, if I'm picking up bread, I spend so much time, you know, like, does it have enough fiber? Does it have chemicals in it? Uh, does it, you know, is it going to taste too much like the plastic bag that it's in? Should I get the one that's in the paper bag? You know, and we spend less time doing that with someone we might be partners with. It's. It doesn't mean you don't love them. it's very important to question, you know, what do they do when they're angry? Uh, Do they respect downtime? What do they like to do for fun? Do I like to do any of those things too? So are we going to have fun together? Or, you know, maybe there are some people who say, hey, you know, you like to do X for fun, I like to do Y for fun. And so we're never really going to, you know, do like, um, you know, our entertainment together. For some couples, that's okay. They like to do their entertainment separately because then they come back to each other, you know. But, so, that's, you have to be having those conversations, yeah, you know, Um, and being really deliberate, you know, and sometimes that can feel funny. Like, don't, I mean, I love this person, so I'll just, you No, I mean, you really have to sit down and be talking about, like, you know, all those things, you know, how you do your emotions, uh, what your, what accommodations you're able to make, what ones would feel, you know, hard for you, you know, Um, All those things, how you like to spend your time, your values, all of those things. It reminds
1: me how to remind everyone else out there that the only way to be able to ask these questions of someone else is to know those things about yourself. Right. So you have to first know for yourself, what are the things that I want out of a relationship? What do I want out of a partner? What do I want out of my future? What are the things that are most important to me versus what I don't care about? Right. And because that is the long term of it. Right. Dating only lasts for so long. And so, you know, understanding what your truly what you your own needs and triggers and all of those things are will help you to better identify who's a good match for you right? Instead
2: of trying out everybody that says yes, right? Right. Or going with the first person who says, hey, I like you. I see that happen a lot. Like, someone will lean in to an autistic person, and the autistic person's like, well, they like me, so I'll just go with it. Mm -hmm. But to have a little more agency and say, wait a minute, I see that you like me, but let's have these conversations, you know? And I think knowing yourself, that's really key, and also thinking about your expectations too, right? There should be some really clear conversations with yourself and with this other person. Get those expectations out on the table and see if they're matching.
0: You know, when you were talking about social isolation, it made me, you know, it really made me think about networking because, you know, when we typically think about networking, we think about employment and we think about networking in, I think, a neurotypical lens. So I'm just wondering how you've view networking to reduce social isolation within an autistic lens?
2: Well, I think it's tricky because it is a very social activity and it tends to also be very spontaneous, right? You don't know who you're gonna meet, but you go to the grocery store and you know the cashier's boyfriend is standing there and he happens to mention he has a computer company and meets employees and you're like, wait a minute, I know how to program. So that's networking. Oh, know, um, sorry to interrupt, but I'm an excellent programmer and I just heard you tell the cashier you need programmers, here's my card, you know, so that's, it's very social and it's very quick and oftentimes it's very spontaneous, you know, so I think it can be hard for autistic people and um, we may need to break it down or have someone like help us, you know, try it or get used to it or see, but um, I think if we're relating this to relationships, you raise an interesting point that I haven't thought about a lot because in a way dating is kind of like networking, you know, you're putting out, Hey, I can do this and I like this. What about you? And then you're seeing if it matches up, you know? So maybe there are some carryover lessons, you know, um, that if you can practice some of that networking skills or, know, networking, you know, getting a little more comfortable networking in more platonic ways, maybe it'll become easier when you're sort of networking and negotiating for an intimate partnership.
1: True. right? It's practice. It takes practice to speak up for yourself. It takes practice to know how to say things and, you know, to have the courage to use your voice in certain scenarios, right? And so... I think it's it's all about practice. Like I I really struggle with understanding social skills classes because I don't get that. Our, your real social doesn't ever happen like it does on that paper, and so I don't understand that. And our brains need repetition to really learn how to do things. Yeah. And so I don't understand why we're not just taking our children out in the world and being like, here's the bank, wow. so here's <laughs> the bank, here's the right, here's the grocery yeah. store. Okay. Say hi to the
2: cashier. Like that's real life. Totally. I mean. You know, if you're going to learn how to ride a horse, you need the horse.
0: <laughs>
2: so all the time when I go around, people are like, do you like this social skills program that we started? Or what do you think about this? Social? And I'm like, well, where's the peers? You know, but I do want to, I thought of a, a, a little a, a caveat. When, when we talk about something like networking or dating or any of these things, you know, sometimes sort of compare ourselves to the neuromajority way of doing it. And it is, there are some skills that can be very valuable. So let's say you want to go networking, or it's important to do in, in your field. But at the same time, it's also okay to experiment with other ways of doing things. And I think that that's where the internet question comes in. Because for some of us, you know, um, I don't know going say to a bar with a bunch of friends and then if there's someone hot there we go up and say hey you know and then try to hit on them or whatever that could be very hard for us but if we're on a computer we can talk to somebody about dinosaurs and then it's like wow okay we're really connecting on dinosaurs want to go get a soda like that might be easier so i think it's okay to experiment with like non-majority ways of
1: Right. Like there's more than one way to skin a horse. You can, you don't have to do it the traditional way. And I think if you find people that are also willing to do it in the non-traditional way with you, you're on a good path, right? Like goal deal. You're not, you don't have these society, societal expectations of me already. Right. It
2: comes down to what's meaningful for you. Mm-hmm. So if it's really meaningful for you and you want to be able to go out to dinner and have dinner dates and that kind of thing, go for it. Learn how to do it. Figure it out. Go visit restaurants. See which ones you can tolerate. You know, um, put it together. But if you just, that's not meaningful to you and restaurants are too uncomfortable, then like we were saying a few minutes ago, don't go on restaurant dates. Yeah. Find the people who are willing I also to also don't want to go on
1: a restaurant date, right? And
0: we were talking earlier about your wonderful book, "Live and Love: Positive Strategies for Autistic Adults." Which, if you don't have a copy, please go purchase one. Uh, it, you know, it came out in two thousand and six. So I'm wondering, do you see much of a difference in the challenges of autistics in finding meaningful connections sixteen years later? Uh, I think
2: something in a broad society way, have changed, and that's working in our favor, but there's still a lot to do. So we know a lot more about neurodiversity, and by we, I don't mean autistic people. I mean we in society. You know, 16 years ago, I would say things like neurodiversity, and and people didn't know what I was talking about, or I would say to my students, um, how many of you have heard of ableism? And almost nobody heard of it. Now I walk in, I'm like, how many heard of ableism almost everybody has? And they can tell you, oh yeah, it's discrimination against disabled people. So we are we are making some progress somewhere, because more people are hearing about this. You can see corporations, you know, it's this big trend now. We've got to make sure we're hiring neurodivergent people because we're losing, you know, their talents and their perspectives and that kind of thing. Um, so that's the good news. but. You know, as my own personal experience shows, you can be dating someone for years who says they're very open to neurodiversity and very accepting of neurodiverse people and even maybe neurodivergent in some way themselves. And then you come to find out they were harboring this huge resentment and, you know, felt it, you know, put upon because they had to accommodate you so much. And da 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 da. da. So I think that's really kind of the hurdle is how do we bring this down to an individual level? And I think autistic people still struggle sometimes to find other people who really are really mean what they say when they say I accept neurodiverse you know, uh, diversity, and uh, I'm okay being friends with neurodivergent people or maybe even going out with someone neurodivergent. Well, let's see you really do that, right? right. Okay, mm-hmm. now you've got to walk your talk. Right. And
1: that's, that is definitely something that we need to work on is making people walk the wall. Right. We love hearing things that sound right to our ears because when we say stuff, we mean it. Right. And we say exactly. And so we love hearing it, but we never stick around to wait for the behavior to catch up right? And so I think if we're going to, we need to, as autistics, raise our standards and say, okay, you talk a good game, now walk a good game, right? And that, right. that's part of our vetting process, right? When we're in those relationships.
2: Uh, yeah, right, like, oh, I, I hear you say you're very accepting of neurodivergent people, so what do you do if a neurodivergent person has um, a sensory issue and, and can't join you for dinner? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what, or, or, you know, you're scheduled to go um, to a movie, and then it's too loud. Right. You know, you're gonna be like, "Oh, you ruined my fun tonight," or you're just gonna say, "Okay, well, human beings have, you know, I maybe mm-hmm. and, and it's okay if you're sad because we missed the movie." Right. But to center my feelings and my humanness, because I'm doing that for you. You know, right. um, we can rent it at home, or we can try again when it's quieter, or you know, mm-hmm. um, so to really test that out.
0: What about the future of autistics in terms of friendship and love? What are you hoping that this is going to be looking like?
2: Uh, well, like I have said, you know, all along this conversation, that sort of de-shaming process, and 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 getting over some idea like, oh, uh, that it's so shameful to have sensory issues and not be able to sit with people for dinner. No, that's just who you are, and that's who you are right now. It might even change. Um, And you might even be able to compromise, too, because in a very loving space where someone accepts you and can accommodate that most of the time, then the one time they do need you to go to a fancy dinner because their brother's getting married, okay, I I can hack it one night, you know, like for you, you know. Um, So just getting it down to that human-to-human level and um, destigmatizing and, and differences, um, you know, and then also I think I've talked a lot about needs and challenges and that kind of thing, but there's some flip side to this conversation too, and I don't want to over-romanticize autism, you know, some of us have great struggles trying to do the things that we want to do, and not all autistic people are the same, um, that being said, you know, you look at these big patterns, you know, and most of us are very loyal, most of us are very honest, sometimes to a fault, but um, I think that that's more of a strength than a fault in a relationship, frankly. I think that um, our folks, we tend to be very interesting people. I have worked with hundreds of autistic teenagers and young adults over the last couple of decades. I have never met a dull autistic person. <laughs> I mean, I have yet to be introduced to an autistic person who's not interested You know, uh, I think that um, if you have an autistic friend or partner, you're very lucky, and um, you know we will be there for you. And um, I think it's important to put that in the conversation.
1: Was that it? That's it. Last question. What a good note to end on. Perfect note. So pretty. Sorry that I have to enter with my voice and say anything. But that is it for us, and that is it for the. You know. Pride in our Roots series, too, right? I'm really proud of it, Doug. Thank you for going on this little journey with me and helping me to create this. Um, Zoja, thank you so much for your time, your spoon. Oh, no problem um to help us complete this I'm really really proud to know you as a person because when I first read your book I didn't think I'd ever know you so it's it's really um an honor for me to be able to say thank you to the person who helped me when I first
2: got diagnosed well thank you too because you've done such tremendous work especially around girls and women you know um and really you know leading on that and that's so important you know so and I appreciate all the pieces that you're putting out there these different projects it's excellent